Get after it, PDX. In-depth conversations with inspiring people in the creative hotbed of Portland, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. and beyond. Now, let's welcome the host of Get After It PDX and the co-founder of Y East Wolfpack, Willie McBride. Hey folks, a quick word about our sponsors, the Amesur Distilling Company, a new distillery focused on bringing people together through great flavors and a warm environment. They love the way spirits taste, but more importantly, they love that they bring people together to make memories, build bridges, and crystallize the moment. Opening in spring 2020 in Northeast Portland. Today's episode is also brought to you by Daybreak Racing, a Portland, Oregon company offering some of the finest trail running events and trail stewardship opportunities available today. Daybreak Racing has been uniting the adventurous and wild-hearted with the mountain, coast, and forest trails of the Pacific Northwest since 2016. Adventure begins at Daybreak. Visit them at daybreakracing.com. Welcome, folks. We are back with another episode of Get After It PDX. As always, we have another very special guest. Today we have Barry Johnson, who is an interdisciplinary artist based out of Seattle, Washington. So technically today, it is a Get After It PDX and beyond because our guest is not living in Portland. So welcome, Barry. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on, Willie. As we always do, we want to go back... Back in the day, hear your origin story, your creation story, and how you got to be doing all the really, really amazing stuff you've been doing today. So much different artwork, many different mediums, um, activism, lots going on for you that is really inspiring and powerful. So you were born in the breadbasket, right, in the, the good old Midwest, Kansas? Good old Midwest. I am a Kansas boy through and through. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. I still... Yes, ma'am, no, sir, any and everyone hold doors open for people and am known to just get very long-winded on general conversations about nothing. <laughs> that's, just, that's just us as Kansas. So, yeah, like, I think my introduction to artists um, was different than other artists, given that, like, I didn't go to school for art at all. I really didn't. I had an interest in art, as we all do as kids, but it wasn't something that I was pushed because, you know, growing up black, you know, you just, it's, it's already hard enough for any person trying to make it and like taking on the profession of an artist is like, I don't really know if you'll ever get paid from that. So it was nothing that was encouraged to me. I came out to Washington after I got done with school and naturally just being out in a big tech area, started working for different tech companies found my way into a consulting firm, but I was doing analytics there. So I'm working with a team of data scientists, very quickly having to learn to be able to do coding in R, be able to write scripts in Python, um, be able to just do these very, very, very extensive and complex like equations and data analysis. And it was all new to me. And I needed to find a way to keep my brain in flow. I read this book by this artist, Mason, I'm sorry, by this writer, Mason Curry, and it was called Daily Rituals. And in that book, he was just talking about all these different creatives and the different things that they do to stay active. And so I started just adopting that and started picking up books, doodling, and just trying to figure out a way to get my creativity out on paper so that I could be more effective at being able to do numbers. The really cool thing about the firm is like, as they saw me drawing, they let me start doing whiteboard illustrations for <laughs> different clients that came in. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I just, uh, I chuckled because I liked, I liked where that was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They let me start doing different illustrations for clients who were coming in and different new hires, and I was doing all these different drawings while drawing obsessively. I mean, I'm drawing on the way to work, I'm drawing at home, I'm just drawing all the time. And I just, at one point, after doing so many drawings for the firm, was like, I could probably do these same drawings, but maybe get paid for it. <laughs> so I just decided to 
leave the firm. And it was great because, you know, I, I left there. At one point, after doing so many drawings for the firm, I was like, I could probably do these same drawings, but maybe get paid for it. <laughs> so I just decided to leave the firm. And it was great because, you know, I, I left there four years ago. But this year, they invited me back to go there to talk with their team about the importance of creativity and art, which is funny because at the time, I had got banned from drawing at work because it was becoming too much of a distraction. They're like, hey, you're an analyst. You need to be focusing on numbers. Like you're drawing and everyone's looking at what you're drawing and it's distracting you. So you can't bring notebooks to, to different meetings anymore. And then four years later, they're like, hey, remember that thing that you were doing all the time? Can you come and talk with us about that? So it was like a really cool way that, you know, how it all comes around. Love that. that was it. So uh, we want to we, we do want to hear more about sort of the the seedlings of all this stuff and and how you know how how the evolution took place. So you said obviously art wasn't necessarily encouraged by any means as a kid, but did you actually do it at all? Was that something that that you did have some amount of interest in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to be 36 in a couple of weeks. I'm in the 80s, baby. So just growing up in the okay. 80s, baby, you know how it is. Like, oh, yeah. there's Nickelodeon, there's MTV. I mean, being able to see shows like Eon Flux, Beavis and Butthead, like The Head, these shows were absolutely incredible. You top that with like Rocco's Modern Life, Ren and Stimpy, Doug. And I didn't even realize that at the time that these were big artists that were making these. I just liked what I was seeing and just wanted to be able to copy it. So I would have a little sketchbook or a piece of paper, not a sketchbook when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but have a piece of paper there as I'm watching these cartoons really and would be drawing with it. So I really, really, really liked it. And I used to be able to uh, get paid for doing drawings whenever I was in school. So it was like a little hustle I had. Like I'd draw someone a picture and get like – a dollar so I could go buy like some little Debbie's or something like that <laughs> and, you know just like all those things so and so people actually, liked your art enough even at a, at a as kids that they were would pay you a dollar to do a drawing yeah they didn't they didn't know right like we're, we're kids like it's yeah. like hey do you want me to be able to draw Beavis and Butthead and like that looked like Beavis and Butthead so they were like yeah like I'll do it and I think the cool thing about it is it's like what ends up happening with most kids is once you're like fifth, sixth grade, then, you know, people's view of you starts to change more. So mm -hmm. I remember, like, I started coming around other kids that were really good at art and then start to think that my art's not as good as theirs. So I just put it on the shelf and just, like, did not go back to it until I had a daughter and we were spending time drawing and I was going back and forth between work, and then I just found it again, just connected with that inner child again. Wow, so it was actually your daughter that prompted the getting back into it. Yeah, she was a really, really, really big driver for it because, you know, I have videos of her being four, six months old, just scratching at different colors and stuff, and I always wanted to make sure that we developed that muscle really good with her. I never you know, want my kid to become an artist. I think it's extremely stressful, so I would never wish that on her, nor do is it my responsibility as a parent to tell her to do anything except for raise her to be an adult. Mm -hmm. But um, I absolutely wanted to have that in our household. We don't have TVs in our household or anything. Mm -hmm. We, of course, have computers and whatever, but, like, we just are just, you know, just you got to know how to use your hands. So that part of having her really helped me to get back to drawing. And I really, if I think about it, like, you're right, Willie. She is one of the big drivers that got me into doing more art continually. And how, how old is she? She is seven, going on 13. <laughs> <laughs> but so essentially you're, you know, for most intents and purposes, your art career is seven years old? I'd say about six years old. Six as soon as old. she could really start um, listening and following along, then yeah, we were doing more art. So it's about six years like on, on a public format, more years. Like the first two was just been making a lot of mistakes and learning from those. Well, not necessarily yeah. mistakes, but just learning and yeah. picking up everything. Because again, like I didn't know what I was supposed to. I don't even use like the same materials that artists use. Like most artists are painting with acrylic or oil. I use house paint. I go to Home Depot and get house paint and use that to paint. <laughs>
Um, I think it is interesting to think, or it, it's telling in, in certain ways to this image of you selling, you know, drawings of Beavis and Butthead because it, uh, it both shows your, your early sort of inclination towards artistry, but also, you know, this entrepreneurial spirit, which um, did play into your life at, at certain yeah. points at least. And obviously yeah. being an artist and being a successful artist, or to be a successful artist, there is sort of a, a baseline, you know, level of, of business acumen that you have to have if you hope to be successful with it and keep it going. Yeah, I, I 100% believe in that. And that's like the sad, well, that's the different part about it because like once artists start talking about, you know, the process of creating work to make money or the process of what a successful art, whatever success looks like as an artist, you know, there's this belief that you end up losing a lot of the artists along with it, which I don't believe at all. I mean, you know, I first and foremost make the works for the experiences that I'm going through as a black man in America and what the world is showing me of what it thinks of black and brown people in America. So the first work is in service to sell, but once I've created a work, I'm unattached to it. And if it sells, that's a great part. And I know that, you know, there's, that's a necessary thing. Like, you know, so many artists sadly are not able to get paid for their work. So I'm all about, if we can find a way to get paid from this and create patrons and create sustainability, you know, that'll help us to continue doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. That is sort of a hard, just a, just a reality of the thing that you can't always continue to do the work if you don't have some means to, to keep it going. Um, so obviously, especially right now where we're at in our, in the world and our, our country's history, there's a lot of stuff going on specifically right now around race and, and social justice issues and the treatment of people of color currently and throughout our country's history. And like you just said, that is, you know, a, a main subject matter of, of your artwork. And you also talked about growing up in Kansas, which, um, you know, it's very different from where we are now. I'm in Portland, you're in Seattle, but, you know, like we acknowledged before we started recording, those are vastly different worlds. Um, so as a, as a person of color, as a, a black man, what, what was your experience like growing up in Kansas? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I, we just do race differently out in Kansas. Like, it, it's just true. It's like, I think there the lines are more clearly drawn. It's like being in Kansas and my family coming from the Little Rock, Arkansas area, you know, these are, this is the home of the KKK. Um, and in Topeka, where I'm from, that is the home of the Phelps. So I don't know if you know about the people that go around picketing funerals and being sure <laughs> to like make it known their belief towards people of different sexual orientations and veterans it's disgusting yeah but those lines those lines are like right in front of your face there so if someone is like i don't like you because you're black i know that so i know that that's a person that i don't come around that i have no reason to be in conversation with and that i can just stay away from it and the really interesting thing there is that you know these are old stupid historical beliefs about people it's like really when you get down to it we're talking about a matter of melanin in a country of origin that your dna originated from like come on now it's like we're still people in the end but whatever people in their own i'll never understand the the reasoning behind racism but but yeah it's just much more clearly drawn out there to that benefit though also we also don't like we're in such close proximity to each other and such close conversation that there's also not as much racism like i think it's like definitely more in your face there because you know people that don't like you but for the most part we're so close to one another it's like it's a small place like it's just it's a small flat place so you know you could the, the ideal friday night there for a lot of people is to go hang out in the parking lot at walmart <laughs> yeah so it's yeah. like that's the thing that we do there so you know there's there's like two or three clubs where i'm at and we're just in such close proximity to each other that, you know, when it comes to like black and white people are just like, yo, like, 
it's hot out here. We're just trying to all figure it out. If I don't like you, I'm going to let you know. We, there's really like not a much debate about it because a lot of the things that pertain to like race there can run very deep. But for the people that, you know, are in such close proximity to black, white, brown, everyone around us, we get along for the most part. And, you know, we're, we're good with that. Um, that's different in Arkansas. Like when, whenever I go back there to my father, it's like very, very, very like, you don't go over here. You stay away from those people. Those people can harm you. And, you know, in weird ways, people just still seem to find a way to make it work. Yeah. And how do you... Now your experience of living in the Pacific Northwest and in Seattle, which, you know, I've heard from other people of color that in some ways it's, you know, it's, it's not as in your face and it's almost worse in that way because it's sort of this insidious, like, Oh my goodness. Triple worse. Really? Triple worse. Yeah. Because I, I, I won't know it, which is strange because I grew up like, I, I still remember the first experience that I had with race and um, again, like, you're, I'm only reminded that I'm black whenever I go outside. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the only something I'm reminded that I'm black. But it's really interesting because, like, whenever I was first going to school there, um, and I remember it was second grade, and I had walked into class, and, like, this group of kids started calling me Bert Boy. And I was like, what? So I went home, and I told my dad about that, and he told me, he's like, yo, like, that's a thing. Um I told you about this previously, but now you're going to get to experience it at higher rates, but you never let another person dictate just your work. So I've never been a person that someone could walk up and I call me nigger or call me anything and like that affect me. Like, that's just like, I, I know who I am through and through and I encourage everyone that's around me that looks like me and that are in my community to just be armed and just be ready for potential things that you could face in life. But also know that like, that's just people's own problem with themselves. When I came out to the when I came out to the Pacific Northwest, it's like as you said, hit it right on the head. It's insidious because like I will at very few times know that it's there. It could be a a series, and I've been here a decade now, so it could be a series of different looks, behavior changes, um, certain reasons why like I wasn't given an art opportunity compared to another person and i'm not even saying that that that's like purely placated on race like i know for a fact that there are different institutions that are kind of ran by the old guard that said that we only want to pepper in <laughs> a couple different people of color and like everyone else we're not going to be able to do that so it's it's a real it's a real pervasive problem that i'm just not like for and have just been spending my art career trying to fight against. And it's like we're going under radical change now. And, like, it is something that it took me a while to be aware of, but I tell you, it's it's really three times worse. It's it's, it's much worse here. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, it's, the, the art world is interesting. Like I said, I sort of grew up around it because uh, both my parents made art sort of on the separately from their main professions. My dad was an architect. My mom was a landscape architect. But so grew up in Chicago, in the city of Chicago around all that stuff. So um, I de yeah, definitely felt like I experienced the art scene from a young age. And I, and I feel like a lot of the connotation of art can be sort of, you know, liberal artists and free thinking and all these types of things. But actually, it, there is a lot of sort of, yeah, like you said, old guard sort of, stuck up not very snobby culture that of course then is going to have a lot of sort of ingrained <laughs> racist thought i'm sure yep or discrimination against people who are different yeah what's up yeah a lot of people don't even know that like a lot of you know and that's why i really like what's happening right now because a lot of a lot of what's happening is making people realize um their own racial biases that may have not ever been there like you know it's like and it starts in the home sadly like these different views get instilled in these kids about like what's considered a work of art what's considered pretty what's considered intelligent what's considered stylish and like you go and you arm yourself with these things and everything that defers against that you're not with and a lot of what makes up culture entirely um is on the constant change and a lot of what we're doing within art was never accepted of, as art black and brown people it's like we we dictate so much of what happens in the culture and 
people just never accept that to be full art, but then appropriate it and adopt it and popularize it while leaving us at the wayside for it, which is just, you know, <laughs> it's just not good at all. So this TED Talk, TEDx Talk that you gave that I found incredibly, incredibly inspiring. Um, literally, it like brought, I like teared up a couple times because I was just like so, so into it. And I've already shared it a bunch, so it was super powerful. Uh, it was called The Power of Embodying New Personas. So I want to talk all about that. But within that talk, you touch on you know, some of these different things, different stages in your life and the different personas that you had sort of created around those different things you did. Um, and so one of them was being a bodybuilder. Yep. And I bring that up because... I wanted to ask, like as a kid, obviously a lot of kids are into sports or, you know, physical activities, running around doing things um, that then might, you know, start a, a pattern of athleticism that, because I saw those pictures in the TED Talk, you, that was pretty impressive, the bodybuilding photos. Thank you. Thank so, uh, were you athletic as a, as a youth? Or did you do sports as, as you were growing up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So all the sports. The one I, I was, I wasn't good at basketball, but like definitely track, basketball. That was something I could have, uh, that I could have done forever. But I actually like decided to, at the end of uh, high school, I started doing competitive boxing, and then just kept on boxing, and it was just something I really loved. But again, with all these different sports, like you know, I'm just a glutton for punishment. I'm just like wrecking my body, tore my wrist up with all the punches, and like have like. Uh, two fingers that are broke that should have got fixed that I just didn't have money to get fixed so now they're just crooked forever <laughs> and I started doing the bodybuilding and it's funny like it's I, I literally in this moment only think about this because you brought up the connection between like drawing um, as a youth but the very first drawing book that I had because again growing up in the 80s who was the person who was the icon it was you know Arnold Schwarzenegger like mm -hmm. I still remember like buying this muscle book for cartoons and it was like all these like superhero style people and that, that was the first thing i was drawing i was like ah i just want to have like you know i'm just like super skinny kid couldn't put muscle on to save my life so i was like i just want to grow up to just like have muscles and when i got to school um there was a buddy of mine was dating this uh girl and she went on to do a figure competition mm -hmm. and i remember we went to that show and the funny thing about it is, it's like, I had never been in that show or been introduced in life previously, but I watched her go through the training, and she made it seem like it was, like, the most difficult thing in the world, which to me was like, oh, I want to do this, because it seems like you are going through an extreme amount of discipline right now, and I want to be able to do that. So once the show, I just remember just walking in and being blown away. I was like, I can't believe everyone, the, the conditioning they put their bodies in, and this is... um the federation that I competed in was 100% uh, natural. So we were double drug tested and lie detector tested. So I've never taken a drug or anything in my life, nor did the people that were competing in that. But it was just all natural. But it was such a great experience. And oh, I just wow. went on and did like a lot of shows. And I did a show here when I first got here as well. It was good. And I won that show too. So it was good. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, wow. So I'm really interested in the overlap of some of the, all these things really um or you know in your own belief of like in athleticism and artist in your artistic process and you know again all the different mediums you do like what's sort of the common thread or common inspiration like are there overlaps for you like do you find yeah. there's creative elements and artistic elements in athleticism one thousand percent. What what is Steve Jobs said? Steve Jobs said you can only connect the dots looking uh, looking back, not looking forward. So you know, whenever you, whenever I look at everything that I've done, the through line through all of it was discipline. That's it. And it's like I, you know, the youngest of four, um, raised by a single parent. My old man was the one that raised me, and I just watched him bust his ass like working 60 and 70 hour weeks which like i tried to do that and it was so immensely hard i still do and it's just so hard but he really just instilled in me early on that like really 
whatever it is that I plan to do in life, just make sure that whatever I'm doing, that I just try as hard as I can. So the reason why I gave the talk about like the personas, which overarching is just make it till you make it. That's really what it is. I know that people discourage people away from that same thing, but like the, you know, what is it? The jack of all trades, the master of nothing. All of that to me sounds great. I'm fine with it. Because if you think about like the most highly efficient people in whatever industry that we think of, like it's not that they just do one thing exceptionally good or they're just brilliant at one. They just know how to do it a lot of different things and overall they just have one thread of maybe they're a great communicator when i talk about steve jobs being like he just had really great vision or you know like um someone like uh, richard branson is just like a really inspirational person or like diddy is just someone who's just like the master of like art so for me all i wanted to do is just like whatever industry i was in is just give it whatever the best shot that i could and they're all connected. It's really all overarching art. Whenever I was doing, you know, um, bodybuilding, I'm sculpting and I'm just going through piece by piece and just treating my body like it's clay and just developing different muscles. Whenever I was working in the tech industry and like raising like a company, it's like I went through that startup process and just designed everything in the end and then work with different engineers and developers to bring that to actual life. And then when I turn around, I go into art, it's a culmination of all of it because now not having any rules, but just knowing what could look like a piece of art, I just get to start throwing shit at the wall and say like, let's just, this will work and maybe this will work and just really just bring it all together. So when I look at the evolution of the personas, like really, I think I'll stay where I'm at now for the longest because it took me everything that I went through to get to right here. Mm-hmm. And just to try to drill a little bit deeper, what, and I think, you know, most of us can, can relate to, you know, the, the rewards of, of discipline and hard work, but what in your own words would you say is sort of the, what feels so good to you about discipline itself, like about the process of applying yourself and focusing and practicing over and over, like that, right? What part, what what right. what gets you about that? Yeah, that part right there. Like I am never attached to the outcome of anything. I mean, once it's done, it's done. Like I am in love, head over heels with the process. I absolutely love the process of it. The art of exploration is a thing that that in my child is a thing that will keep well until she turns into a teenager. Is what will keep me young forever is because like whenever I am like able to explore and really just start to tinker and say like, I don't know if this will work, but I'm going to give it a shot. It's exhilarating. Like it's the thing that like drives me like the, the whole, the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger going back to him had this quote that just stuck with me where he sit back and said like, the worst thing I can do is be like everyone else. That would be horrible. That process of like, I don't want to, walk to the same beat, same chord as everyone else. Like, literally, if everyone starts saying that, like, if everyone is going left, I'm just going to be like, yo, like, what, what's on the other side of it? Like, why are we all... So I'm constantly, like, challenging the whole notion of, like, we should all be doing the same thing. Because I think that that belief is what's caused a lot of problems. Like, overall, love, you know, collective consciousness is there. But when it just comes to, oh, we... I don't believe in this just because everyone else says I don't believe in it or I shouldn't try this because everyone else says I shouldn't try it is a thing that I rebel against. And that's what really got me going through so many different industries. Because if you ask anyone really about like where I'm at right now, yeah. they would sit back and say that like I'm kind of a nut, right? Like they're like, oh yeah, that seems like a person that has like commitment issues because you did this, 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 this. That's not it. Like it's really just like I just want to make sure that I – you know, if I think about it, like, why not give it a shot? And it's, I, I make this joke, like, whenever I die, whenever people ask about me or on my headstone, just write, I tried. Because <laughs> <laughs> really, that's it. Because it's like, I, I tried. Like, I, I did whatever it was that came up. I was like, yo, like, this sounds like something I want to do. I'm going to try it out. And that's just, and I encourage people to do that. It's not, you know, it hasn't caused any major problems in my life. It hasn't caused me it's really if anything it's been more beneficial to my health because i think i would obsess over the fact of not doing it more than you know uh, if, if i did it yeah 
And so, like this sort of work ethic and interest in in discipline and all those those things that developed within you was that you know sort of just a gradual process through growing up that you really really like felt that drive or you know like in high school was this was this a trait in high school that was fully developed already were you pouring your your focus into something in high school yeah it, i think it's just a constant work in process and understanding that like you know, I have this uh, grant that I started. It's called MAG. It's called the No Accidental Grants. And so I give I give uh, a creative $3,000, and I work with all these different places to give them studio space, defense space for years. So and I fund that out of my own pocket, which <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. But um, the whole notion of No Accidental Grants is, like, always making yourself available to the world to be able to, like, help better you and that no single person is great on their own it takes a whole collective so i was very lucky to just like have like a father that was there to help guide me and he made sure that i know that there are other people out there that can help me so you know if it was a coach that was telling me like hey like these are the things you might want to think about doing i do that um that nike commercial with michael jordan where he talks about all the shots that he missed and all the games that he ended up losing what that's what made him great. I remember being on my couch as a kid watching that. Well, I would have been a teen at that time. It was like, that is amazing. And like that really resonated with me because it made me realize that there's no one that's like, there's talent, which is great that people can naturally have, but real, real, real hard work really helps to make someone great. Right. And that is what I I just, I kind of caught wind of that early on and I just instilled that myself and just kept on working on it even to this day still trying to be disciplined about it not like you know when I say discipline I don't mean military style discipline I mean just really knowing that if I work at something consistently it will get better that's what you know I remember um Picasso's daughter had said that about him that like he wasn't a great artist at all he was just extremely disciplined and always wondered about what could be done next. Did you anticipate as, say, a high schooler that your future career would, you know, include trying out a bunch of different things? Or that, you know, in those early years, did you have something in mind of, of what you might might become later? No, not at all. If you, like, whenever I was a kid, I wanted to just work in business. I just wanted to be business very That's it. I just wanted, and I knew that I wanted to have a family. So I knew that I wanted to work in a field where I wouldn't have to be stuck in an office from nine until five. And early on, I remember reading that like marketing may allow me to do that because if I work in like sales or something, you know, I could spend a couple of days in the office and the rest of the days in the field, but I wouldn't have to be bound to a clock. Mm-hmm. So I envisioned myself going into marketing, and then once I started working in that industry, I found the really how big marketing is, because even as an artist, I'm still working in marketing, mm-hmm. um, so I found out how big that field is, and just kind of recalibrated, you know, um, I didn't like, uh, you know, do anything outside of that, I, I just really just kind of altered it, just slightly. And so were your, I mean, you said your father was, um, you know, an influence, and help sort of solidify some of these these uh, positive traits in you. But so, I mean, throughout, even beyond, you know, living at home and once you moved away from Kansas, you know, were your parents or folks supportive of all these different sort of twists and turns your, your career took? <laughs> I, I, you know, I think my old man just, just knew that his son would be okay. But he, we have a really interesting relationship in that way that, like, He's just a supporter of me and everything I do. And now that like I came as far that I have as an artist, because he got to see everything else, and he moved out. I moved in out here with us um, eight years ago, so oh. he stays in Seattle. But it's just great because he now gets to like realize everything that he instilled in me as an artist, and he really enjoys it. And you know, he's one of the biggest inspirations for me as a person and like my work and like social justice and activism because that's just been something 
it has happened in our house. We've been having discussions about this since like my that's my earliest memories, but since it was not from my father because he would be in my house blasting that music. Everything that I know to be cool, he showed me that early on and told me how to, you know, understand people more effectively and stuff like that. Wow, that sounds like a, a cool day. <laughs> that's great that he lives out, out there now. Yeah, brought him out here too. And, you know, and, it, and what's funny to that point about social activism and social justice, like he was out in Little Rock whenever they started to desegregate schools. So he's there getting walked into schools by the police because people are trying to, you know, curl racial epithets and like whatever at him. And all that, and growing up in the area, at the era of Kennedy, Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, Huey, he will say that, like, right now is the most interesting time that he's ever lived in. And that says a lot for a person that grew up in the home of the KKKs. <laughs> like, this time now is the most interesting time that he's ever lived in. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm sure his perspectives on, on the current happenings are pretty interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What, I mean, does he say more? Like, what What does he think about it? Like, is, it, is he hopeful yeah. for, for actual change? Is he, what's his yeah. take? Yeah, uh, he believes that, like, you know, this could be the first time that we actually start to see real structural change um, happening. And, you know, he grew up and got to watch that, like, kind of be on the forefront to see all of those leaders kind of push that. And then very quickly, they all disappeared. And then it just went away forever. I mean, if you ask, like, most black people that tell you that, like, well, actually, I can't speak on behalf of all of us, but if you ask, like, a lot of people, you know, a lot of where we are right now kind of comes to the thanks of 45, because realistically, like, he showed America and brought to the forefront what we've always known about America. So now that it's on the forefront, it's like we, the times that people said that these things aren't happening, and then you get to see it on the most <laughs> important leadership level. Now it's like, okay, so this solidifies what we've always known. So him just being able to watch all that and just be in a time where, you know, we're inside during a pandemic and people are out protesting and we're having the largest protests in, like, you know, our nation's history. It's, he just, just like, I just don't know what's going to happen next. But I am, and he is, hopeful for the future. Because, you know, things are starting to look a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. So, going from the startup world to being a full-time artist, <laughs> I want to sort of jump jump back to that. It sounds like a really fascinating um, transition and, and one that's quite a juxtaposition, I would imagine. Um, yeah. So you said so it all. So you're in the startup world. You've jumped into that. You've talked about it in the TED talks, but you didn't really have much uh, exact experience in that world. But you you jumped in. And, um, so quit, you know, at some point then along the way, you're, you start drawing with your daughter, you're feeling more need for creation. And it just sort of, like you said, you started doing the whiteboards and one thing led to yeah. another. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I was doing, um, I, I was, I created a startup. It was all about the resume. Um, I had looked at like how long the resume had been around and, it was just something that just hasn't changed or evolved much while everything around us that helps us get a job has changed. So I looked at like different designers that I had worked with and I was like, whenever you're giving a resume, you give a portfolio, like this portfolio comes with all these work accomplishments that you have and people can do that. They just need to understand what type of different works that they've created. So really that was like my first art project. It was just within this tech space because I started to, work with him to create like what was called the portfolio resume. And it was something that like anyone could be able to use. It's just being able to look at like the accomplishments that you could have, be it business administration, be it teaching anything. And you can kind of create like a portfolio, of course, with all the important pertinent company information redacted, but you can hand that over to people. So I had that yeah. and was like, huh, we're onto something here. And we went through the whole design process. And I remember that was my favorite process of it was just laboring over like, colors and layout and then i love being able to talk about that and go to different pitch competitions for it and whenever i had the idea for it picked it up ran out of money as naturally as everyone does and was like okay like i literally have lived in like my place 
without a piece of furniture or any type of appliances for two years because I literally spent every single dollar that I made from my full-time job and put that into my startup. So I knew that there was just going to be no kind of inroad inside for that. Mm -hmm. So I was able to like get rid of the IP for it, but I was really energized by like that whole art project. And so when I went into tech yeah, and went into consulting, I already kind of had a whole, I, I already had the process of like developing concepts and pitching it. Mm -hmm. And as an analyst, that really kind of helped out because I'm like, oh, not only can I develop the insights, but I can present it to the client. But man, I just found my way back to that color, Willie. I tell you, I just started doing those drawings. And was like, you know what? I think that I'm kind of working my way back to that kid that I, I really enjoyed like being that was the best part of my life. It's like when I was like that kid just having that fun drawing. So I was like, how do I get back there? And that's what really got me into art. It's kind of a weird way of working things backwards, but that's really how it happened. Yeah. Was there ever any, you know, sort of internal conflict around that or wavering? Like obviously, you know, societal expectations or parental expectations, not that the, that was your experience, but obviously for a lot of people, those are, are major factors that could hold them back from following their passion for sure. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it make no mistake. Like, yeah, it was there on the parental side as well. Like my old man was like, okay, so you did everything to get yourself all the way here. Like I'm working for, you know, one of the, I'm working for Deloitte. That's like one of the big four consulting. I don't like even how I got there was just like a series of like really crazy events, but I'm there and I'm making, you know, a, a steady income, not to mention I just had a daughter, I have a house, you know, there's a car. And during this time, I was just like, Ugh. and I, I still remember the day when I was like, I, I'm done with this. I had spent three years just working nonstop. I'm just working. Um, uh, I'm just working around the clock. And that's when art was starting to be involved as well. And I remember that I had, um, went out, took my first vacation from the firm. I was like, I'm going to Disney World. And I was like, Disneyland, I'm sorry, in California. I was going to Disneyland. And I was like, I'm going to shut everything off. I don't want anyone to contact me because I'm taking the family out to Disneyland. And I remember because I had like worked against myself and made myself so available that someone called me whenever I was at Disneyland. And I was like, I remember saying that like, I'm, I'm not feeling good in this moment at the happiest place in the world. And I decided right there, like, you know what, like, this is just it for me. And I, and I feel in my heart of hearts that I can really make things work with art. And naturally with art, you're going to take little side gigs here and there to be able to support everything. But I knew right there that like the whole idea of working 70, 60 hours a week and not being able to feel, you know, feel emotionally happy with what I was doing, it was time to go. So a lot of hard decision. Everyone oh. around me, everyone around me, because it's not like, you know, adding a little bit more color. That's not like art was picking up at all. Like mm -hmm. I was getting nose left and right. Like nothing was really like working for me. But I, I, I knew it was something that if I just stuck at would eventually start to pay out. Sorry for cutting you off. No worries. No worries. Um, yeah, so you just because a lot of the a lot of what I find inspiration in is hearing those those moments where you really decide to take that jump and go for it. So again, clearly there's some, you know, some elements of fear, or uncertainty. But yeah, so I just want to go a little more into that that transition. So like from the point where you you know told Deloitte that you're you're out, um, you know, it was just like, all right, here we go. What, what was next? You started, you, you said you were watching YouTube videos on drawing tips and things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, full transparency, it's, I, I was very aware of my ability to deliver as an artist, but that was scared. Definitely. Because it's like, I've now said this. So now I need to live by it. I was like, I knew inside of me that it was something that like I was capable of doing. But to be able to basically at the height of my, it was the height of my professional career and the trajectory was set for me. Like I knew what I could do with that firm. 
I knew what they wanted me to do, and I knew exactly what needed to be done to get to where I wanted to go, mm-hmm. but it just didn't feel right. And I was like, oh, no, I'm done with it. Um, lots of fear, a lot of sleepless nights. Very, it was the first time in my life that I actually like, started to experience um, anxiety, and I didn't even know what anxiety was. Like I knew of it, of course, academically, but I had no idea of the way that it affects the body. So I spent, um, I spent the next four months after I uh, had left Deloitte, and the first thing I did was illustrated and published a book with my daughter. Um, that was the first thing that I did. And then once I did that, I was working on more studio paint, paintings, and I really had the time to just sit down and think through exactly what it is that I wanted to paint. And it's really whenever the entire landscape of my work changed just from being like a lot of bright colors to a lot more figures, a lot more meanings in it. And that is when people uh, started to pick things up. And I got, you know, my I, shortly after that, I got written about and think, thankfully that piece turned into more and more opportunities. But I have just been grinding nonstop and just working nonstop because I don't, you know, there's still never a uh, safe enough base to where I'm comfortable in that I know that there will always be a need for my work. And I think that's why I change it so much is because people could get bored with a signature style of work. Um, people could say, this is now dull or you ran this concept into the dirt. So I had to work within paint, film, installation, performance. I have to work within all those mediums to just kind of keep giving and feeding that you know it's supply and demand i just got i got to be there for it so i guess that kind of goes back to the marketing side of it it's like Mm. really finding a way to continue to keep uh, people excited about the work tell us a little bit more about the the children's book that featured your daughter that sounds like a great project yeah it was really cool it's called oh what wonderful hair so whenever my kid was learning how to talk and we're doing everything within her hair, she didn't like know exactly how to say what different hairstyles she wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was cool to be like, hey, so uh, if you want braids, like we could do like braids, like little tiny snakes. Or if you want like your hair to be curly, it's like we could do it like curly fries. And <laughs> if you want your hair to be up in a bun, we can make it like a pineapple. You know, there's so much you can do with hair. And like we wanted to make that process of her getting her hair done be enjoyable because whenever you're like kids just don't like getting their comb their hair combed through I mean it's just you know the texture of black hair is just different so we just found a way early on to make it fun and exciting and I thought it was like hey like we can really kind of make like a book out of this and kind of come at it from the approach of it being like you know imaginative and like super like just kind of out there as compared to like hair it's about hair love but it's more so about like let's just be creative and like let's visualize a kid getting a hair done from like the view of like i think she was it was 2017 so she would have been three at that time that's great so yeah you went illustrate the book did you write it as well yep wrote it illustrated and self-published it on amazon wow that's so cool yeah it's pretty cool so we briefly talked about your father and his reaction to what's going on currently. Um, but I want to hear a little bit more about your sort of take on where we're at and and how that's playing into the art you are doing currently. Because I actually, I will tell you, just will note real quick, that I initially came across you and your work because you had done one of the letters of the Black Lives Matter mural in Seattle. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great experience. Yes. What a, what, this is the, like, that whole experience was just been crazy. Because for all of us, like, we're, the work overarching is the same. It's about, you know, the history and the reflection in society's view of black and brown people. Like that, that's been my work because that's just the easiest place of comfort and the place that I know the best since I was doing art. Whenever everything started around the protest, it was a really interesting thing because I was like, okay, um, I've seen this happen with, you know, Trayvon Martin, um, Mike Brown, the, the, the names just go on and on and on. I didn't realize that it would um, pick up 
across the whole nation. And it's still something that I spend a lot of time thinking on exactly why that happened. I think that there's, you know, parts of the pandemic and people being locked inside played a part in it. But it was definitely one of the things that I was really taken aback by. And we just got, you know, 16 of us just got a message on Instagram that was like, hey, you've been invited to this special art project. Uh, just hit us up if you want to be a part of it. And I knew the person that was doing it. So I was like, oh, yeah, like that's the homie. So, of course, anything for you. I didn't know that we were going to be doing the Black Lives Matter piece. And whenever I saw it and whenever we saw it, we all got super excited. But I can tell you with 100% certainty, nobody would have known that it would have done what it did. We all just went out there. That I still remember the day, clear as day. It was raining until 1 o'clock in the afternoon here in Seattle. And then we all went up. And this is in the middle of CHOP, which was Chaz back then being occupied. And for what I had heard based on the news, is that it was like just, uh, it was a war zone there. You know, like I'm thinking that there's military, militia there and police. I walked in that place completely fine. There was nothing but love there. They had the whole area taped off. And we all somehow were able to do our letter in one day. It, it, it wasn't told to us we had to do it in a day. We all were just out there. This It's really about an energy share. Mm-hmm. Every single person was just like, okay, I'm going to do this letter entirely today and the crazy part about it is it's like you're you're painting on your hands and knees on concrete for 10 hours which is like not an easy thing to do and it's like i'm pushing 40 so like my knees and my back were like okay i am done and at one point the lights even ended up getting cut off so they even cut the lights off us so we're sitting there painting with our cell phone and headlamps doing all of this and by the time we had went home this thing started picking up steam, but it, and I, I'm not even thinking of it. I'm like, oh, a couple of few mentions, that's great. I'm just tired and just ready to get some food in me and then get ready to start the next day. And I never would imagine that it turned to what it did. So it was such an amazing experience. But more around that and going to the questions you have, I think that kind of speaks to where we are right now, that hopefully people are taking notice of this whole notion of systemic oppression and racism, racial biases, gender biases, religious, political biases, all these things of like understanding how they play a part in black and brown lives and maybe understanding that like it is indeed time for change. And I say maybe because we're still very much in this. I, I, you know, I talked about how now I believe is the time that the real fight takes place. I think that all of the protests that happen brought a lot of things to the forefront, but now that that's kind of uh, calmed down a bit, it's very much time for the real fight because everything that people said where they're like, oh yeah, we know that like we've historically held people back or that like our company, our brand has done the best of being able to uplift like different people, well, then maybe now will be the time that they have to deliver on that. So now is when the real fight starts. Absolutely. I know it's, uh, yeah, it's been a I mean, natural, you know, due to human uh, tendencies, but it's been a little disheartening to, you know, sort of see the stuff start to fade slightly in in how much people are talking about it. But it just goes to show exactly what you're saying, that now is really the time when it's so important to keep things going and keep the focus on these issues. 100%. So, man, I feel like we could just talk all day because... There's so much to discuss, but uh, unfortunately, we're, we're starting to run out of time, so I'm going to ask you. you our sort of final question that I ask everyone, which is, so because this podcast is largely, a, like I said, about you know people's sort of life evolutions and twists and turns of, of getting to do cool stuff and inspiring things and meaningful work of all, all sorts, and that it's, it can be really frustrating when you're sort of stuck on somewhere along that journey. You know, you you may know what your passions are, but you don't know the steps to take or you're scared to take the steps to, to go for it. Or maybe, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't really know yet what their passions are. So if you had to give someone in that journey some advice, what would you tell them? Don't really 
knows like exactly what the future looks like. So if there's ever any type of hesitance behind starting something new, picking up a new hobby, packing up and like going to a new place, trying something that you've never tried before, it's completely fine because in, at the end of it, like it's going to plague you more if you don't do it than then you did. That's where as adults we end up becoming like old and bitter because a lot of that has to come with unresolved things that we were dealing with that never found a way to work through so the best remedy for that is to give it a try and in the case of giving it a try if it doesn't work out you get to have the benefit of saying that you actually like tried it as compared to never doing it and it just being in the front of the back of your mind you know that like this this never happened and if you do try it because i'm not one that believes that it doesn't work out if you do try it you may be surprised at the results you will be not me you will be surprised at the results because with everything if you just stay at it and just continue powering through and more important than anything have a belief in self and as i said earlier trust the process or trust the decision trust the intuition whatever it may be you know it, it'll it'll be more beneficial to you than ultimately deciding not to do it. Sounds like good good wise well earned advice. Um, Sage advice. Exactly. Hard earned through all your 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 experiences. Um, I actually yeah. lied. I am going to ask you one more question, which is, what uh, can you give us any tidbits about what we might be expecting in the future from you? Any exciting projects coming up? Yes, yeah. So in line with the uh, architecture, um, I got chosen to create the art that's going on this five-story development that's going out here in Seattle. And just the, the sheer, um, it's like five stories of art that gets to go, that gets to wrap the entire building. And I, I could not be more happier for it because I get to actually work with architects and designers while I'm in like architecture school and the designs that I presented them with are just going to be ultra, 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 ultra colorful. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be super, super, super dope. So I'm really excited for that to go out. Um, that's of course, like it's a, it's a development. So I, it's going to be a year before we see it, but we just got the approval of the final design for it. So I am, ultra stoked about that and i'm in this like literally i'm in the studio like right now um because i converted uh, our garage into a studio so i'm just in here just working up some new concepts and i'm just really excited just to continue rolling the workout and just like you really just like work on the, the art of speaking and like really continue uh, creating podcasts and being able to get the voice out it's something i'm working on now as well Oh, you actually have a podcast process of your own, or project of your own? Yep, it's called the Anything is Anything podcast. It's uh, about all different idioms um, and different, like, things that we say, like, uh, a good example is, like, a rule of thumb. So we'll say, like, oh, yeah, a good rule of thumb is to, you know, stretch whenever you get out of bed. Not understanding that the rule of thumb came from the idea, the law that a man could beat a woman with an instrument, but it couldn't be thicker than his thumb. So maybe we don't take rule of thumb anymore. <laughs> wow. Um, is it all things like that where it's basically taking something that we didn't know was actually a, a yep. bad saying? <laughs> all things, just origins on it. Just, just, you know, I try to keep it adult humor style. So there's cursing and there's, you know, it, it, but they're like very quick, they're 15 minute episodes um, and just breaking down just the, the different origin stuff. I, I talked about like Black Lives Matter. I talked about the butterfly effect, April Fool's, just all these different uh, things where they came from and just whatever the internet has to provide for backstories peppered in with like, we'll just imagine this as well. Well, I love it. I'll check that out. <laughs> yeah, idioms are quite, can be quite funny. And yeah, it's sort of yeah. scary when you realize how many of them are, like the example you just used, actually come from yeah. something really not not okay at all. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Yeah. No more rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm never saying that again, that's for sure. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, thank you so much, Barry. Really appreciate your time. And uh, again, I'm, I'm quite blown away at all the stuff you're doing. It's, it's amazing. Um, we're stoked to keep following along and excited to see this project coming up in Seattle and your, your yes. hybrid art and architecture. Yep. Very yes. exciting. I thank you so much for everything that I have. I really genuinely with everything appreciate you. This was a, an amazing opportunity to be able to have that connection down at PDX. Um, definitely whenever things clear up and we're able to see each other, I would definitely like to come out and get a brew, get a, some tequila or some coffee with you. That'd be amazing if you'll have me down. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love to come up to Seattle as well. Dig it. You got the invite. Sweet. All right, Barry. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. This wraps up another edition of the Get After It PDX podcast. For more information about today's guest, including social media links, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Now it's your turn to get out there and get after it.